And that's the beginning of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a podcast and newsletter that seeks to bring you a little bit of information that you may need either today, next week, or six months from now. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, here again to provide this missive based on my sincere desire to know what's going on. Thanks for listening. On today's show, Governor-elect Youngkin pledges to remove Virginia from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. Two mapmakers hired by the Virginia Supreme Court have laid out their boundaries in advance of public hearings next week. Albemarle County supervisors agree to consider dedicating more resources to monitoring blighted properties and enforcing rules. The Charlottesville Tree Commission gets a first look at data showing a continuing decline in tree cover in the city. And the Carter G. Woodson Institute celebrates 40 years of research into African-American history. In today's first Patreon field shout-out, the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign is an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the northern Piedmont. Winter is here, but spring is not too far away, and this is a great time to begin planning for the spring. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them Lonnie Murray sent you. A quick look at COVID-19 numbers to begin the day, and they continue an upward trend. Today, the percent positivity increased to 7.9%, up from 7.7% yesterday. And the Virginia Department of Health reports another 3,074 new cases. That number includes another 100 cases in the Blue Ridge Health District. There are another three new fatalities reported in the Blue Ridge Health District today. Albemarle County might be represented by two people in the U.S. House of Representatives if a map drawn under the direction of the Virginia Supreme Court is adopted. This fall, the first Virginia Redistricting Commission failed to reach consensus on new legislative maps for the U.S. House and the two houses of the General Assembly. That left the task to two special masters appointed by the Virginia Supreme Court. Here's a section of a memo from Sean P. Trend and Bernard F. Groffman. These maps reflect a true joint effort on our part. We agreed on almost all issues initially, and the few issues on which we initially disagreed were resolved by amicable discussion. In their memo, the pair of special masters noted they ignored incumbents when drawing the map, In doing so, 7th District Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger would no longer be in the same district. They also noted that the district numbers might change. Under the congressional map, northern Albemarle County would be in a 10th district that stretches north to Loudoun County and the Maryland border. Charlottesville and southern Albemarle would be in a district that stretches to the North Carolina border and contains much of the south side of Virginia. Crozet would be split between those two districts. Under the House of Delegates map, Charlottesville and much of Albemarle's urban ring would be in the 54th district, and most of Albemarle would be in the 55th. This district would include the western portion of Louisa County and an eastern sliver of Nelson County. Green would be in a district with half of Orange County, half of Culpeper County, and all of Madison County. Fluvanna would be in a district with Buckingham, Cumberland, and Appomattox counties, as well as the western half of Goochland. 
Under the Senate map, Albemarle and Charlottesville would be within the 11th district, along with Amherst and Nelson counties, as well as the western portion of Louisa County. The rest of Louisa would be in the 10th district, as well as all of Fluvanna County. Greene County would be in the 28th district, with all of Madison, Orange, and Culpeper counties. The two public hearings will be held virtually on December 15th and December 17th. People who wish to comment should email to redistricting at vacourts.gov to notify the court a day in advance of that desire. Here's a notice from the public hearing. The court recognizes that the establishment of voting districts for the Virginia General Assembly and Virginia's congressional representatives will have significant and lasting impact on every Virginian. Written comments will be taken through December 20th at 1 p.m. According to multiple accounts, Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin told the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce yesterday that he will remove Virginia from an interstate compact that seeks to reduce carbon emissions through a cap-and-trade system. Youngkin called it a carbon tax and said he will issue an executive order to withdraw Virginia from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative in order to reduce energy costs for consumers. Since joining in July of 2020, Virginia has received $227.6 million in proceeds from those auctions, with the funds designated for climate change mitigation efforts. For more information, read Sarah Vogelsong's story in the Virginia Mercury. According to a press release from the Hampton Roads Chamber, Youngkin also said he will seek to eliminate the grocery tax, suspend the gas tax for a year, and lower taxes for veterans. Also yesterday, a recount in the 91st House District race confirmed that Republican A.C. Cordoza defeated Democratic incumbent Martha Mugler in the November 2nd election, though the margin of victory shrank from 94 votes to 64 votes. That means that when the General Assembly convenes on January 12th, there will be 52 Republicans in the House and 48 Democrats. A community group that seeks to raise awareness of historic structures and preserve them has issued their annual awards and grants. Preservation Piedmont offered three small grants to the following groups. Most of the copy you're going to hear comes from them. The Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society for their project to restore and keep active the Hatton Ferry, a small historic ferry across the James River. The Burley Varsity Club for the publication of Unforgettable Jackson P. Burley High School, a book about the history of the high school which was built by Charlottesville and Albemarle to provide a modern high school for its African-American communities. Friends of the Gladstone Depot, with assistance from the Nelson County Historical Society, for their efforts to move the Gladstone Depot to a new site and repurpose the facility as a community center. There were also seven community awards, and here are six of them. A special recognition award to the University of Virginia for thoughtful community engagement in the development of the Memorial to Enslaved Laborers. An adaptive reuse award to Armand and Bernice Thibleau, owners of the Quarry Gardens at Schuyler, for their dedication to adaptive reuse of the Quarry Gardens and for making it available to the public. An adaptive reuse award to the Claudius Crozet Blue Ridge Tunnel Foundation and Alan Hale for their efforts to preserve and make publicly available one of the great engineering feats of the world. A preservation award to owners Tim Mullins and Tara Crossan and builder Craig Jacobs for thoughtful rehabilitation of an important Albemarle County structure, Finn Dowry. A design award to Charlottesville Quirk LLC 
for the Quirk Hotel's sensitive infill development on Charlottesville's West Main Street. And the Martha Gleason Award goes to a member of the community who has exhibited sustained dedication to advocating for preservation. This year, the award went to Jean Hyatt for her role as a founding member of Preservation Piedmont, service on the Board of Architectural Review, and for contributions to oral histories and to the book Bridge Builders, and her active involvement with neighborhood associations and preservation advocacy. Finally, something called Charlottesville Community Engagement was honored for some reason. I can report that the award is a framed certificate and a tote bag. Before the break, the Carter G. Woodson Institute for African American and African Studies at the University of Virginia celebrates its 40th anniversary today. The institute is named after a 20th century historian who established the first Black History Week. Learn more about Woodson, the institute, and the work accomplished over the past four decades in a piece by Anne Bromley that is published in today's UVA Today. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, Code for Charlottesville is seeking volunteers with tech, data, research, and design skills to work on community service projects. Founded in September of 2019, Code for Charlottesville has worked on projects with the Legal Aid Justice Center, the Charlottesville Fire Department, and the Charlottesville Office of Human Rights. Visit codeforseville.org to learn about those projects. I'm told that a native plants database may be in the works. Two segments to go today. A contractor working on the calculation of Charlottesville's tree canopy has turned in the first set of data. Chris Jenzik is with the city's Parks and Recreation Department, and he spoke to the Charlottesville Tree Commission on Tuesday. We have, I think, lost some canopy. I think their average right now is is in the 40% plus a little bit of change, not quite the 41. So I think the first one we did, we were in the 47 realm, maybe in 08. That number dropped further to 45% in 2015. Jenzik said he is going through the data neighborhood by neighborhood to see how it compares to previous tree canopy reports. Is it that the air photo is a different quality? We, we're trying to keep these five-year increments pretty consistent in terms of how data is gathered and how it's analyzed so that we can say consistently that, yeah, the loss or gain in trees is actual trees and not some anomaly in data. Janzik said a final report will be ready by sometime in January, but could be available by the end of this month. He asked tree commissioners to take a look at the preliminary data to see what their interpretations are. The data collection was delayed by the pandemic. A year ago, the Albemarle Board of Supervisors asked the Department of Community Development to look into ways the county might be able to compel property owners to maintain their property to keep it out of blighted status. Jody Filardo, the county's Director of Community Development, addressed supervisors on December 2, 2021. We're here today to seek board input on whether to take measures to establish a new program under the Virginia Maintenance Code to continue with focused tools and measures using spot light abatement. Priority number six of the county's strategic plan is to revitalize aging neighborhoods. 
Villardo returned to the board on December 2nd with options about how to proceed. But first, a definition. Blighted property is defined as a structure or improvement that is dilapidated or deteriorated because it violates minimum health and safety standards. Villardo said in the past year, the county has received six complaints about individual properties, and five of those now have approved maintenance plans in place. One of these properties will be demolished. If any of the properties with approved maintenance plans do not make satisfactory progress towards compliance, they will be brought before you uh, with the, the spotlight ordinance. Amelia McCulley is the outgoing deputy director of community development. She briefed the board about options to potentially expand the enforcement in the county under the Virginia Maintenance Code to items beyond health and safety, such as peeling paint, crumbling siding, and broken gutters. Staff is recommending a phased approach. An option for the board is to not go entirely responsive, but to prioritize our aging urban neighborhoods by being proactive in one to two new neighborhoods each year. If the county were to adopt the Virginia Maintenance Code, McCulley said hiring new staff to do the work would not be cheap. The first year would cost half a million, with an ongoing cost of $390,000 a year. Adoption of the full code would cost more. Second point would be that we recommend a focused enforcement that prioritizes public health and safety and that we adopt a portion of the maintenance code, and that would be Chapter 3 that focuses on the exterior of the structures. Supervisor Donna Price said she was not satisfied that the status quo was sufficient. She had brought up three properties at that December 2020 work session and has suggested others since then. And it's clear that what we currently have been doing has not been able to fully address um, the blighted um, unsafe property situation. I think of the three that I first brought up, pretty much the only thing that was achieved of significance would be that an abandoned minivan was removed from the property and some openings were boarded up. But other than that, the, the properties are still out there and just as blighted as they otherwise appeared. Price said she did not favor adopting the full maintenance code, in part due to the potential for unintended consequences as well as costs. Having heard that the Office of Equity and Inclusion has potential concerns, Price said some distinctions need to be made. To me, one of the things that has to be taken into account, and this ties in with the OENI, the Office of Equity and Inclusion um, participation in this process, is the distinction between those who cannot correct their property, primarily because of financial resources, versus those who simply will not or refuse to do so. And one of the things that I am not interested in is providing a financial benefit to those who simply refuse to take care of their property. Supervisor B. Lepisto Kirtley suggesting revisiting the topic in another year. She said she thought the spot blight abatement program might suffice for now. Supervisor Diantha McKeel also supported using the existing program and agreed with staff's recommendation to hire a dedicated staffer for this purpose. That decision will come during the development of the fiscal year 23 budget and whether to spend $110,000 for this project. I think the Virginia Maintenance Code sounds like it's not going to get us to where we really need to be, and it's prohibitively expensive, it would appear. McKeel said she wants to focus on rental properties in the urban areas that are owned by people out of the community. 
who may not be taking care of them. Supervisor Ned Galloway said he would support eventually adopting the Virginia Maintenance Code. Either we have to be doing something proactive, no matter what phase we do, to help people that are burdened to be able to get their houses back into a health and safe environment for themselves. So maybe that's the tact I take here. A proactive approach would identify that more quickly, in my opinion. Aside from the budget discussion on hiring the new staffer, the topic will return to the Board of Supervisors sometime next year. And that chime signifies this is no longer the beginning of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a program that seeks to bring you as much information about what's happening as possible, as often as possible. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, uh, I just have to say, if you would like to support the program, one thing you can do, of course, is to subscribe through Substack at $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. The company Ting will match that amount, which is fantastic helps to really uh, stretch the money that you would contribute. If you don't want to do that at this time, the other thing you can do is to send it on to somebody else, whether it be the podcast or the newsletter. Different people receive information and take information in different ways. And of course, one day there might actually be some sort of a Greek opera for every single installment. That might be a little bit in the future, but who knows? With your support, anything's possible. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. I'll be back tomorrow with another installment of the show. In the meantime, thank you for listening and stay safe and stay strong and stay all the things you're supposed to stay. Thanks for listening.